Welcome to another episode of the Souvenirs Podcast. If you've been listening to this series, you've probably become familiar with the name Rusty. Rusty, also known as Dallas Gant Jr., is the son of Dallas and Edie Gant. Not only did he spend his youth hanging around the ranch, he eventually took over ranch operations right after college and held onto the reins as ranch owner for over 50 years until he sold the ranch in the summer of 2021. Rusty spent his career carrying on his parents' legacy, all the while leaving his own footprint. He kept the focus on family and somehow managed to expand and thrive well into the 21st century. It was my pleasure to sit down with Rusty and hear his accounts of life at the ranch. So without further ado, let's hear from the man they call Rusty. What is your earliest recollection of the ranch? Well, of course, I, I was raised where the sales office is now. That was that was my house, or our house. And I'd, the first memories I have is living in that, that area. Mom and Dad both worked at the ranch. And the first things I really remember when I went to st- school, not much before that, really. But it was... Uh, not bad. There's a whole bunch of pictures of me and those old books over there. So how did your parents arrive at the ranch? How did they find this uh, Well, let's see. Um, Dad, he actually started with uh, Jack Stewart in Camel Camelac Inn in, in Phoenix. And he came over here uh, looking for a job with uh, the Burdens, who had Remuda Ranch at that time. And uh, and they, I think he started in the kitchen and went, you know, worked his way up. He was finally assistant managers, I guess. Uh, the Burden family, they had, they have, uh, there are two of them, uh, Sophie and Jack. And then, and I was born, my first birthday was actually in uh, Remuda Ranch. And... But the Burdens went over to run a place called Bishop's Lodge in, in the summertime. And, and uh, Dad would, went with them. And Mom was going to a, a, a school at that time called Brown Moore School, which is in, in Santa Fe at the Bishop's Lodge. And in the, in the summertime, it was a resort. In the wintertime, it was a school. And she stayed one summer uh, and worked, and that's where she met Dad at uh, Santa Fe. They were married at the at the at the lodge. So, um, and I think the burdens didn't go back, but I think Dad uh, worked at the, in the summertime up there for uh, let's see, I think two or three years. I got some notes. Mom kind of put a, a bunch of this stuff together. She said, you, you probably need all this stuff going forward. So, uh, Dad got uh, acquainted with some of the guests at Ramuda Ranch when he came back and he got together with two guys, uh, uh, Howard and McGuire, and they decided to start their own good ranch over here. Uh, there was nothing here at that time. Um, uh, and they were going to be the, the money people, and he was going to be the manager. So that's, that's how Los Caballeros got started, because of those guys. So the Gamp family did pretty well with this, because, like I said, it, it was their money and his work seemed to work for everybody. But uh, the McGuire's were really nice 
good people. They tried to help everybody in the Wickenburg area. They were from Michigan. He was an oil guy up there, but I don't know what he did. And Howard was a restaurant guy in Chicago area. And they were the guests at the Remuda Ranch, and that's how they got together. And they bought this acreage from the state of Arizona. So it's, uh, I guess it's right the deal. How did the name come about? I remember the brand, uh, the Sun Sea, but I, I don't know where the name came from other than I think they liked the, the sound of it. It was kind of a, but not just a, a, another dude ranch or something. They wanted to be a really classy uh, guest ranch. And of course, uh, Caballero is a gentleman on horseback, is what that means. And um, I guess that's something different in the, in the, in the name. But, you know, I really didn't talk about Dad about that, hardly anything, as, 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 as kids are. You know, we're not interested in what our families are doing. Uh, I wish I had. It would be nice to hear all that. But, um, but Mom put a lot of that stuff down, and, um, and she did it on her little typewriter, just banged it out over oh, about a year or two. And um, Mom was from Milwaukee, and then she went over to... She had to get into the, the dry weather with her help. That's why she here. And Dad was, had a uh, asthma problem that he get, he had to get out of Oklahoma, where he was from. And that's how he came to Arizona. And how did they come up with the brand? Well, the, the brand was um, there were three founders, and those were three things on the Sun Sea. And then the sea was either from I don't know it was from Caballeros or or whatever I think that's where it came from. But they, they registered that as a horse brand and a cattle brand, so it's a real it's a real deal. I hated to get up and man, man. <laughs> but anyway, that's part of the deal. So, what was it like growing up on the ranch as a young boy? It was different because um, you know I went to grade school eight years here and I had all my friends you know, fueled. But then I came back and then I always had other friends that. Uh, kids that would stay at the ranch but they were you know for three or four days and they would be leave and there'd be another another group that come in and of course in those days they come pretty much every other year or at least every year if not every other year so we kind of knew when they were going to show up so we got i got pretty good friends for a lot of those people so i had my friends at school i had my friends at the ranch and then we had uh, two families that lived on the ranch, and they had one daughter that's a little bit older than I was, four years I think. But we we got got along pretty well. So, and one of the one of the managers at that time, he had a, a kid my age as well. So, he had friends all over the place, and there was always something to do around here. So it was it's a good place. It really was. What were some of the first buildings that well, we to? Well, what I remember was you know the main building was. Uh, was always there, the dining room, the kitchen, and part of the bar. It's been, uh, most of those things has been enlarged down through the years, but they're, they're the same place. And in the old rooms, uh, they've redone some of those. Uh, we uh, raised, or leveled about 10 of them was all, but uh, everything else is still here, unfortunately. <laughs> How many rooms did they start with? Uh, 40. 40 rooms. Yeah. And did they have employee housing, or how did they staff? Well, um, behind the bar, that was guest rooms, but they had two rooms with a bathroom of a queen, but they were built for staff in the beginning. 
and then uh, and they figured out they'd make more money selling those rooms, even though they're kind of cheap. You could sell them for a family, you know, you know, two kids and one, and mom and dad and the other, and they, they were the cheapest ones we had, obviously. So they they sold pretty well, and then they both uh, what they call the beach now. I think they built that probably in the early fifties. I think. Were most of the staff locals? Well, not not really, because in those days, well, there are a few. There was always a bunch from Wickenburg, but a bunch of them were seasonal because we were all, in the beginning. We opened about the first of November, or sometimes the fifteenth, the middle of November, and closed right after uh, Easter. But in those days, though, that was really uh, not. Unusual because all even like the uh, Biltmore in, in Phoenix, they were only open for the season, and the same with the Wigwam and some of those old places. So, um, do you remember what the rates were back then? Oh, I used to have an old rate card someplace, but I, as I remember, it was twenty-eight dollars a day, uh, including your meals, and I think the horses were like twelve dollars a day or, or thirteen dollars for a ride. Do you know how many horses they had in the herd? As I remember, it was probably 50. Because we used to take the, the horses. We still had ties to uh, Bishop Lodge. We know the people that, that owned it and ran it. And they, they were open mostly in the, in the summertime. So we had a string of uh, 50 horses. And they would go with them in the summertime. We put them in trucks and bring them down here in the wintertime. What were some of the activities they had back then? Uh, well, you know, we always said we built the place. On, I didn't because I was, it was pretty much all up and running by the time I got out of school. Uh, I always think we, always, we built the place on kids and horses, you know, because we had a kids' camp now. But we, the uh, program, almost the same we do now, they would pick them up. The counter would keep all, all the kids between 6 up to 12, I think, or maybe 13. And they keep them up for breakfast, and they take them for riding, and they would keep them other things, keep them for lunch, come back, pick them up again around five or five thirty, take them to dinner, and entertain them one way or the other until the parents got out of the of, of dinner. So they each had their own vacation, and of course the kids, being kids, you know, they they're more interested in playing tennis with their friends rather than mom and dad. But, you know, that's changed a lot now because now couples, both of them work now. In those days, that wasn't, wasn't the case. And uh, Wickenburg still had a, a, a country club over there. It was only nine holes. And, of course, we won tennis course. And uh, what else? The, the cookhouse were, we used to, you know, lunch, breakfast, and a night ride. they go... And we would, um, you would ride out to, to all of them. But, you know, the cookhouse, that was a big deal. They, they did, uh, everybody talks about the square mat dancers. We used to do that maybe with the other ranches. We'd get, uh, we had one building over there. And each, each one, uh, like a flying E, they had that barn. And we would all go over there. For, and then the next time, everybody would come over here. And they had a... Uh, association called the, the uh, Desert Sun Ranchers Association. This is all the ranches in Wickenburg. 
you know, put some dues in so they could pay for the, the collar on your suit, that kind of stuff. And, and all those uh, little rodeos, they would all, we'd get together on that. We used to ride all the way over to Ramuda in the, in, the, in the morning, bring them back for lunch, take them back then, and do the, the we used to call them rodeos, out of their, their kind of gin colonists, really. By the time they were done, and then you have to drive them all, you have to ride all the horses back. Sometimes they get home to 5.30. That's a long day. But, you know, after a while, you know, people said, but they didn't want to go that far and didn't want to get back in the car, you know, and it kind of, kind of fell apart. But, you know, the, it's kind of like the square dances. Everybody thinks how much fun they have, but nobody wants to go anymore. You put it on, you'd be lucky if you get anybody to do a square. Do you remember any famous guests? Well, if you look some of those, I can't remember what year it was. The guy was Hong Tassidy, Bill Boyd. And he came, he was going back to L.A. and he stopped here. He had a great big black Cadillac convertible. And it was still here in front of the ranch when I got up to go to school. But there is a picture of Dad uh, seeing him off in that, in that Cadillac. And that, and it has to be in the early 50s. But, you know, but somebody else asked me about that, and I said, you know, I don't think we're flashy enough for those kind of people. We didn't really try to get them, and, you know, I like give them rooms and that kind of stuff, uh, because they're kind of a pain in the butt. I mean, they really are. And you know, we try to take care of their rest of your customers that, that are here for all the time. You don't want to, and they got it kind of grumpy if you're taking all, your, all the time and effort on those guys. I mean, that, that's what we saw it anyway. But, you know, we, we had some, uh, Nixon was here for a while, um, uh, but, you know, no really big names. Uh, I'll tell you, was here was the uh, O'Connor, uh, the, uh, the judge. Saturday O'Connor? Yes. She came over for lunch one time with her family, and she's a real deal. I couldn't believe it. They were sure. And I said, I hate to do this, but I just got to go over and say hi. And I, I'm really, I said, I'm really sorry to bother you, but this is who I am. We're really glad to have you. What a, what a neat guy she was. Tell me about the airstrip and the hangar. You mean what's over there now? Yeah. Well, when I started flying, right when I got out of college, we built that for my airplane. And there was another one over there. It's not there anymore. Uh, and that was from one of the homeowners. He had an airplane. At that time, there was not Wickenburg Airport. It wasn't done there. So when they got that done, everybody was kind of tired of uh, the planes coming in and out and making noise and stuff. How long did it operate? Oh, I think Dad, well, in the 50s, they thought everybody would have a, a private airplane. And, of course, that didn't work out. But all the guest ranches each had an air, air strip. There were probably three or four around Wickenburg. So that was a big deal. And that probably petered out in the end of the 50s, probably. Maybe the early 60s. But it, uh, yeah, we used to, we used to have flying. So people would fly over from California with about, you know, 20 airplanes and stuff, kind of a, a club. And, um, what do you think was the greatest challenge for your parents operating the ranch back then? Well, you know, the first thing is, is to get the, the sales to put the head, heads and bids. You know, that's the main thing. And the other thing was the staff. You, you really always uh, hard to get good staff and to keep them 
and they're going every which way, just like herding cats. And that hasn't changed. It's probably worse than it is the one we had. But, you know, all those people that are seasonal staff, and they would work for us, and then in the summertime, they go up to Maine or Montana or Wyoming, and then they'll come back in the wintertime, work uh, for a while. Usually everybody got tired of that. Well, you know, Dad ran the ABRA for 10 years, so we were up there uh, to pay the note off on this place. And uh, so I don't know I don't know how he could run two operations. I, I couldn't even, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I could figure it out. I know how he did it, but uh, boy, it was, it was hard work <laughs> to get that done. He would load up all the, all the fireless and, and all the equipment and, in a station wagon, and mom would bring us up when the school was out, and then we had to leave so we'd get back to school, and he'd come back as soon as they could. That, that's, and they, if you're lucky, they got two weeks off in the fall. Because that time we didn't open until November. They had a little time in there. And they would take some of the staff back and forth. The chef was the main deal, if you had a chef. And then he would take some of his crew with him. And uh, I think we took a housekeeper for several years. My grandmother, we had a little store up there. Uh, Abra was like uh, 20 to 20 miles from the first uh, town. We're eight, eight miles from the highway. So we had to run it a little bit differently than you can here. So we're sitting in the Sonoran ballroom right now. Well, right. When was this constructed? Oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> Now that, that building over there, the Pali Burley, we built that in 58, and with 10 more rooms. And what was the Palo Verde room used for? Uh, well, at that time, we called it the rec room. They had dancers and movies and that kind of stuff. We didn't do much group business until a little bit later. Dad, when we, at ABRA, they had two owner's houses, and they remodeled one of them to make guest guest rooms out of it. And uh, I think they got at least 10 rooms. It was a big house. And Dad could see what, what the numbers were. One more housekeeper, he'd get all this income. So he, first thing he did, he came home the next year and 10 rooms here. And because there really wasn't anything other than the living room for everybody to gather and to do anything. And uh, we, we probably should have shut that. We should have torn that down when we bought this one. But it was too cheap. I thought we could still use it, so we just left it. And it's still there. I can't believe it. So at what point did you take over the operations? When I was my second year in ASU, uh, Dad passed away. So Mom, she was always active with the ranch. She used to do a little, do a little of the books and do all the corporate work. And she said, well, I'll keep it this running until you get out of ASU, and then we have to talk. And then she says, if you don't come back and help me run this thing, I'm going to sell it. So I didn't want to do that. And that's about the time we brought Unit 1, the first group of houses up there. The South Mason was always, was always there. I mean, it, I think they started that in the late 40s. So let's see, where were we on that? So uh, how was it coming back after college? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, like I said, so Mom and I talked, and I said, well, I don't want you to sell it, so I'll, I'll come back and help you run it. I didn't want to work for my family. I didn't think that was a good idea. 
but then mom remarried at that time, and I said, and I was getting into it by that time, and so here I'm still, still here. What were you studying in college? Uh, general business. Yeah, it was not hotel. Uh, Dad says the only. He and I looked at two hotel schools. One was in Denver, and I can't remember where the other one was. Pretty much all food stuff. Dad said, well, if you don't have enough sense to, to get a decent chef, that's not going to help you. So that was the end of that. What year was that when you took it over? Uh, I got out of ASU at 69, the spring of 69. And I started with Mom right then, really. Uh, How was that working with your mother? Actually, uh, uh, we did pretty well. She. Um, Tell she, me a little bit about your mom. She was always involved. I don't think she really, really liked it that well, but uh, she ran it with no problem at all. She did all the reservation and all that kind of stuff, and I did all the maintenance and all the, you know, that kind of stuff. And it worked out just fine. Was that unusual back in that time to have women running race operations? Like it this? was. It was. So you ran this over 50 years. Oh, yeah. What were some of your greater challenges? <laughs> Staff. <laughs> well, and Steve, you know, trying to, trying to figure out what the guests wanted and, and, and see if you could get enough money to do what you wanted to do and, and make it better and, um, you know, figure out the rates and, and um, keep the old guests happy and get some new ones. So you always... You stay the old ones, and you, you run out of business a couple of years. But the, the old ones are the most fun because you got you knew all of them, and you know what they want. And you brought in some new activities as well. Was skeet shooting? No, actually, Dad did that. They had one of those at ABRA, and he came down and saw and got hooked on, on, on shot gutting uh, with skeet. And he came down and bought, uh, built one here. And I used to run that, uh, just like uh, Jim uh, is doing. That was part of my, my duties. And I got, I got pretty good at it for a while. But after a while, it kind of gets old. You go with something else. And then the nature program. Yeah, uh, you have to figure out that Dick Fredrickson made that happen. He came in and have you ever uh, tried to work with Dick on anything? You're not going to take no for an answer. And he came in and sold me on that program. And I think it's, it's, it's helped the ranch. Of course, was, of course, we also put the spa in, you know, and that, was, that came about that time, a little bit later. Uh, and at that time, everybody was going to a spa. I mean, it was, all these old hotels, it was always something, something, hotel and spa. And, and we, that house over there was belonged to the fixtures, and it, it came available. And I just that was on leased land, so I made a deal with, with some of the kids left over, and uh, it worked pretty well. I mean, it, it doesn't make a whole bunch of money, but it, but it's something else for you to talk about. And I don't know if it's a big big deal it was then, because everybody had to have one. We thought we thought. But you know, we got you know little things like the hay wagons. Uh, my friend was running the, the horse thing down at Wigwam, and they're going they're going out of the business. He said, "Do you want any of this stuff?" And we're going to sell all this. So we went down and bought those two hay wagons, and a whole bunch of stuff, and brought it back with <laughs> with a pickup. You know, all the stuff. 
I don't know how it got stopped, but we got <laughs> we got those those two hay wagons hooked together and brought them all the way up this highway. <laughs> like I said, I don't know how we got by with it. We did, and of course, uh, got that tractor. And of course, that was my idea. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's. A, I don't know if that was the best, but it was. For a while, we had teams, and you could bring it. You could take the people on that team. They liked that. But that is really that's really hard work. You get the right team and get somebody they can really work them, and so you don't have a runaway or something, you know. And, and that just. So let's go. I said, let's get an old tractor that makes all kinds of racket on it and see if they like that. So at what point was the decision to build a golf course? At that time, we had the unit one with a whole bunch of guests over here. Most of them have passed on by now. But those are all former guests that bought those lots and built their houses. And at that time, Wickenburg Country Club still was with nine holes and kind of a rinky-dink operation. And they say, we need good golf in Wickenburg, and we're ready to, to help you get that to happen. And they said, do you, want to, do you want to be part of this thing? And I said, oh, no, come on, yeah, that'd be great. And so uh, we put a golf course together, and four of those guys were really made it happen, really. Uh, they raised the money. They know they've, they've done none before. And then we leased them the land uh, for a dollar a year. We had one well already. Dad had put that years ago thinking about a golf course. That's the one that, that you come in uh, on number seven, sitting right there. And that, Dad put that in the, in the 60s. He, he was always thinking, because he was a golfer. So he was thinking of the golf course. Uh, so they kind of kind of pushed us into it a little bit. I thought that was a great idea. You know, that'll be a good future for the ranch because, you know, I don't know if you can always sell horses, uh, but you can always sell golf at that time, we thought. And, you know, t tennis kind of came and went and that kind of stuff. The golf course was kind of pretty steady. and. And the groups at that time, you had to have a golf course to get really good groups. I, I think that was a, we got lucky on, well, not lucky. I mean, Dad used to say, luck is when you make, let's see, uh, hard work and opportunity. And that's when you get luck. What were some of the greatest lessons your parents taught you? Well, you know, just uh, the, the usual stuff, you know, tell the truth, you know, work. <laughs> Do your dreams. Uh, Dad was usually, I didn't see him as much as most fathers you do because he was always, because he would come and work until about three or four and then he would take about a, a half an hour or an hour nap and then get for the evening shift because that's what you had to do. You had to get up to the bar and have a drink with all your customers and see how the kitchen's going and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, and most of your your problems is, is the food, is the restaurant operation, and, and that, you know, everything was American American plan that time. Did technology have an effect on? Well, you know, for years and years, uh, uh, so we didn't have phone, phones in the rooms, much less two Bs. We had we had one phone in one room. Uh, the gal was handicapped, and I think we had to put a flow in her room so she could get hold of the office. 
And uh, I think while I was around, we finally had to get that changed. People just, you know, especially the groups, that's where everything started with the groups. They said, well, we can't come if you don't have phones, if you don't have this, if you don't have that. And of course, the, the guests, they were used to it. It's no big, they kind of liked it because there's no way to get a hold of them. They had two phone boots over there by the, by the pool table. And everybody we got, they go from breakfast, they stop by there and call their office and catch up and then they'll go for a ride and, and hopefully they can find them. They like that. But, you know, and then after, then pretty well, you had to have some TVs, you know, everybody be, so, you know, it just, you know, it gets you one way or the other. But most of it, most of that started with, with the groups, like I said, because they're used to other resorts and they had all this stuff. And of course, they like the ranch because you're out here by yourself, but they want the other stuff that they got as well. Uh, and of course, there there was no concierge. Uh, if you had any questions, you go to the front desk and they'll they'll help you out. People will, they really work hard and they come back for kind of a rest. Now everybody wants to do something. Got to got to do something. You can't just sit around. No, you can't do that. So that that has changed big time. But of course, there again, like I said. Mom and Dad, you know, they one of them was working, the other would like to get away from the kids. And now they like the kids, they don't see them at all, so they wanted to keep them around. So that's altogether different. That's why the uh, the kids' club is all altogether different. Um, for a while, we used to have like 35 or 30 or sometimes 40 kids in that home room. But now, most of them, you know, some of them, well, they haven't seen their kids, so they want them, I, I get it, but a, a big change, a big change. How has Wickenburg changed over the years? Well, you know, when I was a kid, we had 2,000 people in Wickenburg. You know, now it's probably 10 or 7,500 or something. And I was, you know, I was mayor for eight years and another five years on the council. So I, you got to put something back in. I mean, this has been a, this is a really good place and they've been, it's been good to, to our family. And, and I think we helped the, the town as well because uh, we did all the advertising and that got more. A lot of those people that live around that are members of the club, they started uh, as guests here. And I think that helped really Wickenburg down to the years. 73 seasons, the ranch operated under the Gantt family. Pretty much. What yeah. do you think the legacy is? You know, like today, on a good day today, and uh, you don't have any, um, you know, emergencies or anything, I say, uh, why don't I sell the place? Why, why don't I get a, well, the main thing, the right manager, I would still have it. Because uh, the right manager, if he could read my mind, which is hard to do, even for me, uh, then he could run it. And I wouldn't have to be here all the time, and you pay him a little more money, and we could keep it. And that's. And then, but then the other thing is, you know, the the new uh, rules and regs on overtime and all that stuff. I said, man, I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore. It's getting harder and harder to make a nickel. And um, like I said, for one reason, that's why they're doing it the way they're not doing it. They'll have to be bigger and altogether different. How difficult was it to come to the decision to sell? Well, you know, when I had that damn stroke and stuff, and I said, oh, crap, you know, I'm 70. I'm going to be 75 before you know it. I, I didn't have a, a manager that I could count on. And I went several managers, I thought, really good guy. It just, 
you know, if they're good, they'll move on. If they're not, you want to, you don't want them. So I couldn't see where I'm going to get somebody that I really liked. But I've seen other buyers pull that off. Now, if I had some kids or something to take it over, there'd be something else. We'd probably still have it. What do you hope the legacy will be? Well, we used to think that we're the best guest ranch in the Southwest. And I think now this will be a, a really nice resort by the time they get done with it. It won't be the same. And hopefully they'll do a really nice job on getting that done. And um, you see, Dad didn't want to, I mean, when they got started, he was still connected with uh, Santa Fe and Southwest, not just the wild, wild west. We never called ourselves a dude ranch, ever. It was always a guest ranch. It was supposed to be classier. And of course, now dude ranch sells better. Everybody says, well, what are you? I said, well, what do you want it to be? You know? So, uh, and change is hard. Because <laughs> I was the guy that started all the changes when I was came on, you don't know. So I, I get it. I really do. Doesn't mean I like it, though. How did growing up and working the ranch over the 50-plus years <laughs> change you? Oh, I, uh, I, I said I'm a little warped, but other than that, no, it was, uh, that was good fun. It really was. You get some really, your good friends, the, the, your staff, that you really depend on, and you get to be pretty close. And, uh, and then the, the old-time guests, uh, they come back as they like it, and if you treat them right and put a little time and effort into, uh, you know, talk to them and seeing around, you know, how was ride today, and you know, or you know, what did you think of last night's dinner or something like that, and attention. So everybody wants a little bit of attention. We used to have a physician. We call it a social hostess. But it wasn't like the concierge. She would go around and, you know, so, you know, how's, how's everybody going? Have you, have you, you know, are your kids getting along? And you're trying to fill in for the managers, I guess. Uh, I hate to see that go. I think that's what a small place can do that a big place can't. I have a little sheet. Do you do that? That way you can look down through the week and see who's coming. You know, and like the guy we had there was Frank, and he would see, oh, so-and-so's coming, so I'd make sure I got some cutty shark, because that's what they have. And uh, I used to get the biggest kick out of him, because uh, he wouldn't necessarily remember their name, but he knew what he was drinking. So the guy would come over here. By the time he got to the bar, his drink was sitting right there, and that's what made it work. And that's what I hate to, I hate to see where, I mean, they'll make probably make more money than than we ever did. But I don't think it'll have near as much fun. <laughs> Thank you, Rusty, for sharing your stories about the ranch. If there's one thing that stood out to me throughout these interviews is the deep sense of loyalty and respect for the Gant family. You may have noticed some distortion with the sound in this recording. Well, there's a story behind that. First of all, we held the interview at the ranch in the beautifully spacious Sonoran Ballroom. Not the ideal setting for recording conversation. Lesson learned on my part. Secondly, the ballroom is located a few yards away from the corrals. And when there are horses nearby, well, there are horseflies. 
As the interview progressed, there was an increase in fly activity. Flies began buzzing around Rusty and I, but there was no need to pause the flow of conversation, so we continued on while waving our hands to shoo them away. All the while, I'm hoping none of this background noise would be picked up. So when I first listened to the recording, it was quite noticeable of the buzzing flybys. It would have been great if they could have buzzed as sound effects during the airstrip section of the interview, but flies have their own timing, and apparently their own stories to tell too. In some ways, it lent authenticity to the setting. After all, we're talking to the former owner of the ranch, sitting next door to the corrals and being torpedoed with flies. Now that's not to say the Sonoran Ballroom is a fly trap, so no worries if you're thinking of holding an event there. That has never been an issue. I think in this case, it was simply a combination Mother Nature, an open door, and perhaps the spirit of former corral bosses giving Rusty one final go-round. In the end, I did my best to edit out the buzzing flies, even if it may have created some blips and distortion to sound quality. Either way, I hope you enjoyed listening to Rusty, and thank you, Rusty, for sharing your stories about the ranch. We still have more ranch tales to share, and I appreciate each one of you who has taken the time to tune in and listen. Really, it means a lot. That's why I'm doing this, to honor the stories we tell by taking time to pause and listen. So thank you tenfold for tuning in. Till next time. Souvenirs Podcast is produced by Susie Miner. Background music written and performed by 2022 International Western Music Association Songwriter of the Year, Dan McCorison.